telling stories of family is always a part of a family get-together. And as I've told you before, I'm, I come from a family of storytellers. And I remember one Christmas where we were all snowed in at, at my parents' home, and it just all happened that we all happened to be there at the same time, and the snow hit, and you had in-laws and outlaws, and my granddad, uh, whom I didn't know played piano, sat down at the piano and started playing and telling stories. And uh, they regaled us with all these stories of kinfolk, and you know, in-laws and outlaws and all sorts of colorful characters. Some, some were saints and some were some ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> uh, and we all have them in our families, don't we? We all have them. Um, we all got here <laughs> somehow. And, and sometimes the, the family tree, the root from there to here, uh, it can be a bit of a head-scratcher. Uh, Jesus' family is just the same, just exactly the same. And, and this morning as we begin the season of Advent, uh, my, uh, this is beautiful. I know that we had uh, a crew working late in the week and had a crew working yesterday, I believe, and it just looks, this is, this is just, this is beautiful. So the beginning of Advent, and, and Advent means coming. Um, it's expecting something big, and as I told our children, um, it's like... When we are awaiting Christmas morning, there's lots and lots of anticipation. And we can all relate to that too, can't we? Yeah, we can. Well, back in July, we started looking at these kingdom encounters. And if you remember, we began with chapter 3. We began with the story of John the Baptist. We, we began with, with Jesus' baptism in the River Jordan. And when you have the son being baptized and coming out of the water and the spirit descends in a form like a dove and the heavenly father speaks his pleasure uh, in the obedience of his son. You've got a, the manifestation of the Trinity and, and we were off and running. Um, we see the arrival of the kingdom. Well, in chapters 1 and 2, we see the announcement and the, the arrival of the king. Um, the advent of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah the coming of the Anointed One. And this morning we will begin to see the fulfillment of a promise made long ago to one man and his family. We will see the loving kindness of the Lord, His, his covenant loyalty to His people despite their frailties and their failures. And I find it very encouraging that despite our frailties and our failures. We are reminded that God has come near to us to bring us forgiveness of sin, to bring us salvation. And at first glance, when you look at the very beginning of Matthew, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 1, please. Matthew chapter 1. There at the beginning of the New Testament. You see this list of names, and, and it's who fathered whom. <laughs> uh, some of your translations probably use the word begat. Uh, who begat, who begat, who begat who. Um, and with all of these begats, we tend to zone out. But I've broken these 17 verses, 17 verses in, into, into three parts. 
And these are three big picture chapters within a chapter. And we're going to see how God comes near to bring us a Savior despite, despite how the family tree might bend. Remember, there's more, there's more than meets the eye here. This is not just a list of names. Part 1, these are the fathers. Matthew chapter 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Genealogy, that, that's a, a, a book of one's lineage. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. All right, real quick, I want you to take the bulletin insert and, and put it there in Matthew 1. If you've got your Bibles, put your bulletin insert in Matthew chapter 1 and hold your spot. And I want you to flip with me to the very beginning of the Old Testament, the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. And you're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, way back when a man named Abram lived in Haran with his wife and the Lord God comes to visit. The Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord says, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let me read that last one, into verse 3. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. That's his nephew. Now Abram was 75 when he departed from Haran, and he went to Canaan as far as Shechem. In verse 7, there in chapter 12 of Genesis, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, pitched his tent. Bethel is on the west, Ai is on the east. And there, there Abram built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Go ahead and flip to Genesis chapter 15. This promise that the Lord gives becomes, becomes a covenant agreement. Genesis 15 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. In verse 4, the Lord says to Abram, One who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And then God takes Abram outside and says, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, <laughs> if you're able to count them. And God says, So shall your descendants be. And then verse 6, it says that Abram believed in the Lord and the Lord reckoned it to Abram as righteousness. God credited Abram's belief and trust in the Lord as righteousness. Salvation. Salvation there. In verse 7, God says to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of your of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Then you'll go down to verse 18 there in chapter 15. Rod, just roll down to verse 18 and we read this. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. 
Go ahead and flip over to Genesis chapter 17. You're two, two chapters later. Genesis 17, verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years, the Lord appears to Abram and says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram falls on his face. God talks with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you and kings. Kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. In Genesis 21, Isaac is born to Abram and Sarah. Years and events pass. In Genesis chapter 25, Abraham dies. Isaac's wife, Rebekah, gives birth to the twins, Esau and Jacob. And the twins, <laughs> they don't have the best relationship. Uh, there's deception, there's trickery, there's betrayal. Sounds like a Christmas Hallmark movie, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Esau unwittingly gives his birthright. And these, the birthright, that's the rights, and the privilege, and the inheritance of the, of the firstborn. Even though they're twins, Esau came first. And Esau gives this birthright unwittingly to, to Jacob, who is a trickster. And then in Genesis 28, verse 10, we see Jacob, when he's on the run from Esau, Esau realizes what's happened. Genesis 28, this is what is said. Genesis 28, verse 10, if you want to follow along. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went to Haran. You know, that's where we first meet Abram back in Genesis 12. Isn't that wild? Goes back toward Haran, and Jacob comes to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of the place, put it under his head, and laid down in that place. And he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And, 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 and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be Blessed. Blessed. Amen. Verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God has made a covenant promise to Abraham. Realized first through the children of promise, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob is given the new name of Israel. Jacob is Israel when he wrestles with God. He is the father of the twelve brothers who were the forebearers of the twelve tribes of Israel. Judah happens to be one of Jacob's twelve sons. You can go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 1, where we started. Matthew chapter 1, verse 3. 
we read that Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar is a Gentile. Judah and Tamar, they they had an interesting relationship. They they were first relatives by marriage. She was, in fact, Judah's daughter-in-law twice. She was widowed twice. And their children, Perez and Zerah, were the result of an act of deception. Questionable factors for the bloodline of the Messiah. Nevertheless... Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon. Verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. Well, Rahab, she's the Canaanite prostitute, a Gentile, who hid the Israelite spies on the eve of the fall of Jericho there in the book of Joshua. She and her family, they turned to the Lord. And and the story of Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is the Moabite widow, another Gentile, who made herself available to Boaz, who would become her kinsman redeemer. And she gives birth to Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of David the king. Thus since part one. Part two, the kings. Jesse, there in verse 6, is the father of David the king. And you remember David. David is the youngest son of Jesse who killed Goliath and became king of Israel. The Lord says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, write that down, 2 Samuel chapter 7, The Lord says this, When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David, the the son of Jesse, would have a descendant spring from his family line. And, And this prophecy about David's descendant, we see this very clearly in Isaiah chapter 11 Verse 1. Write that down. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. Remember Jesse, the father of David? This shoot will spring up, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And there's another picture that the Lord gave the prophet Jeremiah regarding this branch this shoot that would spring from Jesse and David. And Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah chapter 23, we see this prophecy. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is His name by which He will be called the Lord our Righteousness. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Some of your translations this morning will not even state the name of Bathsheba. Will not even state her name. And we know why. Bathsheba was most likely a Gentile like her husband Uriah. And and David exploited Bathsheba sexually and had Uriah murdered 
Mm. Solomon is the next in line for the kingship promised to David in, in 2 Samuel 7, which I just read. And these kings on the throne, see, they're like David. They're fallible men. And we will see the challenge of the character of the kings on the throne. Look there in verse 7. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. He's a bad king. <laughs> Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, bad. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa it was a good king. 1 Kings chapter 15 reads that Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Good king. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, bad. 2 Kings chapter 8 reads that Joram did evil in the sight of the Lord, but the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah for the sake of David his servant, since God had promised David to give a lamp to him through his sons always. We just saw that in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Joram is the father of Uzziah. Well, you know, he started well, but he kind of turned. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, good king. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, bad king. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a good king. 2 Kings chapter 18 tells us that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after Hezekiah there were none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him, for Hezekiah clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following God, but kept God's commandments which the Lord had commanded Moses. Well, Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was a bad king. He, he built altars to Baal. Manasseh, the father of, of Ammon, Ammon was a bad king. So bad that he was murdered by his own servants. And Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was a good king. There was a bit of a revival in the land with Josiah. Josiah was a great spiritual leader. 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 2, tells us that Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, and that he didn't turn aside from the right or the left. He kept, he kept his eyes focused on the right things. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And Babylon was the instrument of judgment which the Lord God used to punish Israel for their wickedness and unfaithfulness. Israel and Judah had a heritage of people following the Lord at one time. And due to... Due to bad influences, they wandered off the path of following the Lord, and God brought judgment on Israel and Judah, and God is still in that business. We could learn a lesson from that, couldn't we? At the end of 2 Kings, the the Israelites, because of their turning away from the things of God, were carried off to exile. That ends part two. Part three, following the deportation of Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel. There's your word there in verse 12. 
Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. And Abihud, the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor. And Azor was the father of Zadok. And Zadok, the father of Achim. And Achim, the father of Eliad. And Eliad was the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar, the father of Matan. And Matan, the father of Jacob. And this last set of names that appears in this genealogy, some of them appear in the genealogy that, that we would see in Luke chapter, chapter 3. But several of these names only appear once in Scripture, and that's right here. Um, this information is really all that's known. But it's a reminder to us that everyone had a part to play. Just like we do. We all have a part to play. Verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Why does this family tree matter? Why does the New Testament of the Bible begin with these 17 verses? I mean, these names in, in Jesus' family tree, you know, they're not superheroes. The pedigree of the family did not shape the Messiah. The promised Messiah has come from Abraham as promised way back in Genesis 12. The promised Messiah has come from David the heir to the throne foretold in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The promised Messiah has come through scoundrels, through unbelievers, through pagans, through Gentiles, through prostitutes, through liars, through murderers, through idolaters. God has done something great. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Despite everything to the contrary. God came to man. Man could not reach up to God. When Jacob has that dream about the ladder, that was not for man to ascend to God. That was a symbol of God wanting to condescend to man. God to come to dwell near and draw near to man. Man could not reach up to God. <laughs> Jesus, the Word made flesh, has come to dwell with sinful man. And aren't we glad? Amen. <laughs> we are glad. He, he didn't show up on basis of man's good behavior. He has come despite our behavior. He, Jesus has come because of our behavior. In Genesis 12, verse 3, 
a few minutes ago, God said this to Abram. In you, in your bloodline, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of all the nations, Jew and Gentile. All of us blessed. And, and not because of anything we've done to deserve blessing, but in spite of ourselves. We are blessed with the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. 17 verses. The story of the gospel is right there. The story of God desiring to dwell with man. All of that in 17 verses of begats. There's a whole lot more than meets the eye in these 17 verses. Thanks be to God. Amen.